the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. You are listening to The John DePietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. Good afternoon on this delightful Monday. It's John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at our website, which is DePietro.com. This portion of the program is brought to you by J.K.L. Engineering. Listen, now is the time. They're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. It's J.K.L. Call them today, 401-351-7600. 401-351-7600. J.K.L. Engineering. Estimates are free. Financing is available, both residential and commercial. Call J.K.L. You know, they can reduce your oil bill by as much as 90%. They have the highest rebates on the market. Call J.K.L. Engineering today at 401-351-7600. If you're listing right now and you're in Smithfield, or maybe you're in Bellingham, or maybe you're in Cumberland, or maybe you are, in fact, in Uxbridge or Rentham, call JKL. Over 54 years in business, licensed in both Rhode Island and Massachusetts, estimates are free, financing is available. They can reduce your oil bill by as much as 90%, highest rebates in the market, new installation replacement of high-efficiency gas boilers, JKL, 401 351-7600. Well, folks, good afternoon. It is the John DePietro Show. Weekdays, we start at 11 and we go till 2. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. So just some of the headlines uh, today. Um, already allegations fly as recall vote looms for uh, Gov- um, Gavin Newsom out in California, the governor of uh, California. That is, um, that is something to watch. That is something to watch. This was someone who was, in fact, uh, just flying during the pandemic as far as how he was regarded, how he was regarded, which was very, very positively during the course of the pandemic. As a matter of fact, the two governors that at one point had the biggest bounce, the biggest bounce were Cuomo and Newsom. And now here it is, you know, Cuomo's gone and just Newsom is absolutely barely hanging on right now. Um, let me also just see. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Al Michaels just casually mentioned this season Super Bowl is played on February 13th. You know, the the dream of the NFL was, in fact, to... Um, Try to have the Super Bowl, trying to have the Super Bowl on President's Day weekend to make it a three-day weekend for everyone. But uh, they seem to be getting closer and closer. Um, Let's see. I want to just check about locally, as I mentioned, what some of the headlines. There's also some new polling numbers out. Numbers are in polling on vaccine mandate. Very bad. For President Biden. Very bad for uh, President Biden. Numbers are clear. People passionately oppose his vaccine mandate. And there's a lot of pushback on this. First polling data is out, conducted over the weekend. Um, do not believe he has the constitutional authority to force the vaccine mandate on the private sector. And a majority of Americans want governors to fight back. When it comes to constitutional authority, only 29% of Americans think he's allowed to mandate employee vaccination, as he outlined last week. 58% say he has no authority to do so. Here are some of the other highlights. 58% of voters do not believe he has the authority. 68% of independent voters don't believe he has the authority to face uh, force private businesses to require the vaccine. 84% of Republican voters don't believe he has the constitutional authority to force private businesses. Think of that number. Um, let's see. A majority of Americans, 56%, support efforts from state governors to oppose Biden's nationwide vaccine mandate. 
62% of independent voters support the efforts of state governors. 78% of Republican voters support the efforts to oppose the vaccine mandate on private business. And with with Democrats, it's 20, 29%. So folks, this, you know, as I was saying, and we've talked about, it, it never should have come to this, but it is just so political now. I mean, the whole thing has just become so political. And, and they've done this by design. And I'm glad at least people are starting to call out that that started with Harris and Biden. That started with them last year on the campaign trail when both of them, especially Kamala Harris, said she would be very hesitant to take the, the as she called it, the Trump vaccine. So now also on Saturday... It's too bad, folks. It was it was hard to eliminate and get away from the politics of the 20th anniversary with 9-11. So, um, and President Bush, who spoke at it, as much as some people feel it was a magnificent speech. Then there's others that feel that he decided to touch on the January 6th. So I want to play part of it because, again, it he didn't have to go into that, um, but decided to. 20 years ago, we all found in different ways in different places, but all at the same moment, that our lives would be changed forever. The world was loud with carnage and sirens, and then quiet with missing voices that would never be heard again. These lives remain precious to our country, and infinitely precious to many of you. Today we remember your loss, We share your sorrow, and we honor the men and women that you have loved so long and so well. For those too young to recall that clear September day, it is hard to describe the mix of feelings we experienced. There was horror at the scale scale of destruction and awe at the bravery and kindness that rose to meet it. There was shock at the audacity audacity of evil and gratitude for the heroism and decency that opposed it. In the sacrifice of the first responders, in the mutual aid of strangers, in the solidarity of grief and grace, the actions of an enemy revealed the spirit of a people. And we were proud of our wounded nation. In these memories, the passengers and crew of Flight 93 must always have an honored place. Here, the intended targets became the instruments of rescue. And many who are now alive owe a vast, unconscious debt to the defiance displayed in the skies above this field. It would be a mistake to idealize the experience of those terrible events. All that many people could initially see was the brute randomness of death. All that many could feel was unearned suffering. All that many could hear was God's terrible silence. There are many who still struggle with a lonely pain that cuts deep within. In those fateful hours, we learned other lessons as well. We saw that Americans were vulnerable but not fragile, that they possess a core of strength that survives the worst that life can bring. We learned that bravery is more common than we imagined, emerging with sudden splendor in the face of death. We vividly felt how every hour with our loved ones was a temporary and holy gift. 
and we found that even the longest days end. Many of us have tried to make spiritual sense of these events. There is no simple explanation for the mix of providence and human will that sets the direction of our lives. But comfort can come from a different sort of knowledge. After wandering long and lost in the dark, many have found they were actually walking step by step toward grace. As a nation, our adjustments have been profound. Many Americans struggled to understand why an enemy would hate us with such zeal. The security measures incorporated into our lives are both sources of comfort and reminders of our vulnerability. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. After 9-11, Millions of brave Americans stepped forward and volunteered to serve in the armed forces. The military measures taken over the last 20 years to pursue dangers at their source have led to debate. But one thing is certain. We owe an assurance to all who have fought our nation's most recent battles. Let me speak directly to veterans and people in uniform. The cause you pursued at the call of duty is the noblest America has to offer. You have shielded your fellow citizens from danger. You have defended the beliefs of your country and advanced the rights of the downtrodden. You have been the face of hope and mercy in dark places. You have been a force for good in the world. Nothing that has followed, nothing can tarnish your honor or diminish your accomplishments. To you and to the honored dead, our country is forever grateful. In the weeks and months following the 9-11 attacks, I was proud to lead an amazing, resilient, united people. When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant from our own. Malign force seems at work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of cultures. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment. That leaves us worried about our nation and our future together. I come without explanations or solutions. I can only tell you what I've seen. On America's day of trial and grief, I saw millions of people instinctively grab for a neighbor's hand and rally to the cause of one another. That is the America I know. At a time when religious bigotry might have flowed freely, I saw Americans reject prejudice and embrace people of Muslim faith. That is the nation I know. At a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders, I saw Americans reaffirm their welcome to immigrants and refugees. That is the nation I know. At a time when some viewed the rising generation as individualistic and decadent, I saw young people embrace an ethic of service and rise to selfless action. That is the nation I know. This is not mere nostalgia. It is the truest version of ourselves. It is what we have been and what we can be again. Twenty years ago, terrorists chose a random group of Americans on a routine flight 
to be collateral damage in a spectacular act of terror. The 33 passengers and seven crew of Flight 93 could have been any group of citizens selected by fate. In a sense, they stood in force all. The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans is an exceptional group of people facing an impossible circumstance. They comforted their loved ones by phone, braced each other for action, and defeated the designs of evil. These Americans were brave, strong, and united in ways that shocked the terrorists, which should not surprise any of us. This is the nation we know. And whenever we need hope and inspiration, we can look to the skies and remember. God bless. Folks, now again, good afternoon. It's John DePietro. Now that was President Bush, who by all accounts, you know, delivered... A fantastic speech, as you could hear. Now, the only problem is, though, is how much then people are saying that he's then, you know, intimating about January 6th. And, you know, the problem that I have with that is any type of acknowledgement, again, from I was speaking with someone. And again, good afternoon, folks. It's 122. It's John DePietro on this Monday. I was speaking with someone um about two, two, three weeks ago, and, and this was someone that was working for the Trump administration in, in Washington on January 6th. And then after that, they were basically escorted out of the offices and treated almost like criminals, like they had done something wrong. And, and they did nothing wrong, as a matter of fact. So, but my, my point is, and the person I was speaking to, she said, she said that last summer, it, it, it's not even close what they had to deal with. What they had to deal with, with all of the, you know, Black Lives Matter and almost, you know, setting buildings on fire and, and, and just... Like completely over the top compared to one afternoon for two hours. One afternoon for two hours of of a rowdy protest. Of of a rowdy protest at the Capitol. That's really what we're talking about. So, but now, you know, because they were won't acknowledge that they were wrong last year with this with the vaccine. Um, I want to go back to this week with on George Stephanopoulos. When again, you do have certain people that keep trying to blame Republicans and this monster that is Trump and everything else. And this woman that's on, I, I'm not a fan of hers in, in any way, Simpson, but let me just hear her from yesterday. As we watch Republicans either be silent or be complicit in the building of the monster that is Trump. And even post-Trump, there are still Republicans who are bolstering him, supporting him. So I feel like too little too late. The reality is, is real leadership is stepping up to the man at the time he was in the seat and saying that we won't budge. And there was none of that. And unfortunately, I don't know what the future of the Republican Party is. There's so many folks who are now swinging uh, closely. We think about the 47 states that have legislation trying to keep people from voting based on the big lie that we know was not true. We think about January 6th and the insurrection that happened on uh, the structure of democracy itself God. and democracy. And there are Republicans who don't want to have an investigation into that. So this Republican Party is way far gone. And unfortunately, oh, you notice how and, and we've talked about it before, but, you know, all the protests have now come to an end. People ask me about that. And, I, and they'll say to me, you know, why, why is that? Well, number one, they're not paying them the way they were last summer, and they were paying them. But on top of that, um, a, a big part of it is just their goal was to get President Trump out of office. And the protests and the division and the rioting, 
that was to continue to have this atmosphere that the country was completely out of control. Now, I also want to go to this week with George Stephanopoulos. Nate Silver breaks down the possible reasons why President Biden's poll numbers have dropped. So I want to hear this uh, piece. White House knows well the president's poll numbers have dropped. Do you acknowledge that the public now has some doubts about the president's handling of the virus? What we can acknowledge, and you've seen in a lot of these polls, is that the number one issue, number two issue, number three issue for many Americans is COVID and what we're doing. I'll also note that in uh, all of these polls, support for the president's handling of coronavirus continues to be the majority of the American public. Facing the toughest stretch of his presidency, President Biden's approval rating has gone underwater for the first time. How deep is the hole, and what does it mean for his packed fall agenda? We're going to ask Senator Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders after this analysis from Nate Silver of 538. After holding steady for the first six months of his presidency, Joe Biden's approval rating has fallen quickly. The questions are, why the drop now, and will it bounce back? One obvious cause could be the U.S.'s much-criticized withdrawal from Afghanistan, since the timing certainly lines up well. Biden's approval rating was 50% in the 538 average on August 15th, the day that the Taliban reached Kabul. It has since fallen by around five points to 45%. But Americans usually have a limited attention span for foreign policy, and most voters did think the decision to withdraw was the right one, even if they didn't like the execution. So Biden's numbers could bounce back once the news cycle moves on. But it's possible the reason is something else, the Delta variant. If you look closely, Biden's numbers had already begun to decline in July as the number of U.S. COVID cases increased sixfold over the course of a month. Meanwhile, approval of his COVID handling has slipped from 62% on July 1st to around 52% now. If Biden's approval rating is tied to COVID, well, it's tough to predict the next turn in the pandemic, although the models tracked by the CDC do think the current wave is near its peak. But keep in mind, this is all pretty normal once a president exits from his honeymoon period. From Truman through Trump, the median president lost five points off their approval rating in the first year in office, and then another seven points in the second year. To be honest, I could really go either way with this one, but if I had to guess, I think I do buy that Biden's lower numbers are the new normal for Democrats. Now, folks, and again, um, at 128, it's John DePietro. It, it depends um, on who you're talking to. I think, I think they're, they're not asking the right questions because I think the, the real questions have to do with where independents stand because it's, it's independence that did shift to Biden where four years ago they went with President Trump. So I think independent voters have absolutely, uh, the independents are, are jumping off the Biden train uh, amongst some, some other things, amongst some other things. But there is definitely a backlash. And folks, this is setting up a big battle next year for the midterms. Without question, this is setting up a battle next year for the midterms. And, and I think, you know, there are some good issues out there. There's some very good issues um, for Republicans that have to get some sense of balance. Now, as we um, discussed earlier, I mean, close to home, what exactly does Congressman Langevin if anything, do to how does he benefit Rhode Island? I, I don't think he does. I think there were actually a lot of people that were saying if, in fact, um, if if the, the state lost a congressional seat, which the only way, the only way they were able to, they were able to, you know, hold on to that, the only way was because of the amount of money paid to illegals and recruiting of illegals to fill out the census. I mean, that that is absolutely the truth. So, but I think there are some strong issues for next year for the midterms. Now, I also want to play this piece because this, for anyone that wonders about the hospitals, people getting vaccinated, it all comes down to this story, I think, that I want to play that first appeared on um, 
Channel 12. Pushing hospitals across the country to the brink with deadly consequences. In Alabama, hospitals out of ICU beds, 49% of the patients in the state in those hospitals have COVID, according to the Alabama Hospital Association. In Mississippi, the state is no longer even reporting the availability of ICU beds citing an extreme shortage. With ICUs at capacity, hospitals are being forced to turn away patients in need. One Alabama man's family says more than 40 hospitals turned him away after he had a cardiac incident, and by the time he reached a hospital in Mississippi, he died. News Nation's Felicia Bolton has that family's message tonight. Felicia. Rudabay, the Alabama man died after being transferred to more than 200 miles away in Mississippi for a cardiac ICU bed. Now his family is asking people to get the COVID-19 vaccine to ensure more room for others in hospitals. A cardiac event sent Ray Demonia and his family searching for care. But with hospitals in Alabama pushed to capacity, they say they were constantly turned away. After contacting 43 hospitals in three different states, a bed was located across state lines in Meridian, Mississippi. By the time the 73-year-old reached Rush Foundation Hospital, it was too late. His family says he died of cardiac arrest just days before his birthday. His family posted on his online memorial, quote, In honor of Ray, please get vaccinated if you have not, in an effort to free up resources for non-COVID-related emergencies. I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, but we're certainly not trending in the right direction. Deputy Director of Alabama Hospital Association, Dane Howard, says the state is in a dire place. The COVID-19 surge began in mid-August and has now reached its highest point ever during the pandemic. Although hospitals do have the capability to expand capacity, Howard says there is a lack of staff to adequately handle that change. And that's why we're so aggressively trying to find additional resources so those type of life or death situations are not something that have to be faced. On Tuesday, Alabama saw 83 more ICU patients than ICU ICU beds open statewide. On Wednesday, there were more than 94 ICU patients than beds available. The Alabama Hospital Association says more than half of those patients are battling COVID. Howard says relief can't come soon enough. We're not throwing in the towel, but it is a dire and serious situation. The Alabama Association is working daily with the state health department and the governor's office to find staff and resources. But with Hurricane Ida, it's taken away many of that. Uh, federal me- Again, folks, the other um, big local story. Good afternoon at 1.33. It's John, De- teams oh, are still deployed to it's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. So close at a home. Um, big story that you are hearing about is this Barrington sergeant who has died of COVID. So a sergeant with the Barrington Police Department has died from COVID. I played the Channel 12 piece earlier, and now I want to play Channel 10 also has Channel 10, by the way, folks, they're still not budging on the Kelly Bates thing. It sounds like it's dying down. Um, But if there's any talk of maybe bringing her back, I think that would have come Last week, we'll see, but let me hear, this is uh, Channel 10. ...who died over the weekend in a long battle against COVID-19. NBC 10's Christina Vitale is live at the Barrington Public Safety Complex with the story. Hey, Christina. Sergeant Gino Caputo served this department for 27 years. Black bunting is still visible outside of this building, but his death has raised some questions regarding COVID. I spoke with the police chief who says he doesn't believe that Caputo was vaccinated. Tremendously caring person, dedicated law enforcement professional who, who loved his family and his extended family, his nieces, his nephews, as well as his police family. Sergeant Gino Caputo with the Barrington Police Department passed away on Saturday, September 11th, after a five-week-long fight against COVID-19. Surrounded by his wife, Cindy, and uh, his family. Current Police Chief Michael Correa says Caputo tested positive for COVID-19 the first week of August. I don't believe he was vaccinated, but uh, to that topic, um, I support Sergeant Caputo's 
right to make that decision. His death adding to a growing list of more than 150 law enforcement officers nationwide who've died from the coronavirus this year. In our area, that includes New Bedford Sergeant Michael Cassidy, Detective Sergeant Stephen DeFosses of Norton, and Patrick Dragon, a former police dispatcher in Foster. Caputo was 58 years old, originally from the Providence Federal Hill area. If you had a, a child, like you would want Sergeant Caputo to be that child's godfather because he was just so caring and just so generous with his time. Coria says Caputo was a dedicated sergeant who served the department for 27 years. Caputo rose to his rank and worked the midnight shift. Midnight, you work with the, the newest and the youngest police officers in, in the Barrington Police Department, and I think it, it really speaks well to his character that he was a mentor and a, and a leader to many. Funeral arrangements for Sergeant Caputo have not yet been announced. Live here in Barrington, Christina Vitali, NBC 10 News. Well, that is, um, I mean, folks, that is obviously uh, very, very sad. And as I mentioned earlier, that is now the second, second uh, first responder, second first responder um, from that area. Because you had the, the Warren firefighter that, the Warren firefighter that was just killed. That brutal, bizarre murder that took place. So that is the the second one. First, you had Warren, and obviously, Warren is right next to Barrington. So two two very different um, two very different types of uh, situations and causes of death. Obviously, so you know what else? I just also want to. We've talked about this, but there was a lot of talk down in South County. And then there were these uh, three young guys, all related, and they were locked up and there were protests for them. And uh, suddenly now charges have been dropped against them. But the woman was under tremendous pressure, tremendous pressure to drop this. And there were protests even against the woman. Let me just say the uh, Channel 12 story. Three men accused of recording their sexual assault of an incapacitated woman in South Kingstown. The Providence Journal reporting state prosecutors notified lawyers of the three men on Friday that the case had been dismissed. Assistant Attorney General Mark Travato said the woman no longer wished to pursue criminal charges and was unwilling to cooperate. The three men were accused of assaulting this woman at a home back in March. A three-year restraining order remains in place. So, folks, that is, um, again, the whole thing was somewhat bizarre as there were um, normally you would think that individuals would would try to uh, rally and support the the young woman in that situation. But what was um, what was was really unusual was in that particular story, they all the rallying was basically towards and for I should say but it was for the youths and one of the people that was was rallying on their behalf was at the time she's no longer but at the time one of the union heads that also sat on the school committee who's also now um, gone from there so now Governor McKee as I mentioned Former McKee chief of staff gets 53,000 unused accruals. Like, does, does it ever end? Does it ever end for that for that crew? He is, I, I don't think Governor McKee, I don't think he's being well served by who's around him. And I, I also, if he doesn't, if he doesn't make some kind of adjustments, um, and and not just doing less media. That doesn't. That that's not gonna. That's not gonna help him. All right. I'm, you're getting a lot of news. Bad news coverage. All right. Well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna do less. We're gonna have less media. Well, that that's. That's really not the. That's not what your problem is. Your problem is is there were some people, folks, as I've said that, that when Governor McKee came into office. There are some people around him that just friends of his or people he did business with or people in his circle that 
just started seeing dollar signs. I don't, I don't think he's one of the, you know, I don't think he, there's certainly, there's no evidence of that in any way. But as far as his crew and who's around him, I mean, it, you're just starting to kind of wonder when is the next, when is the, you know, the next shoe going to drop? As far as when's when's the next controversy? Now they're they're still working out this controversy regarding the school leaders and the lawmakers, the mystified by the five million dollar contract. I mean, he still fully hasn't answered things about that. Let me play again. I want to credit Channel Twelve has been very good with the uh, investigation and the story on this. So. Um, let me play just to remind you. Is what they're working on this Wednesday. As we first reported yesterday, the state has awarded a multi-million dollar consulting contract to a brand new company that is supposed to be helping reopen the state's public schools this fall. Target 12 investigator Tim White joining us live in studio at 4. And Tim, you and your team reported the winning bid was millions of dollars over other bidders, right. they still got the contract, though. Yeah, Brian, that's right. ILO Group, which was just incorporated in March, has a contract valued at up to $6 million. Their job is to assist in the reopening of schools for the 2021-22 school year. Now, Governor Dan McKee told me yesterday they needed ILO Group's help to reopen schools safely. In fact, he said ILO Group is already working with the Westerly School Committee. Here's a clip of that from yesterday. I was down in Westley the other day, and we've set up the uh, the ILO group with um, with the Westley School Committee. So I invite any school committee out there that is working their way through safety issues or any reopening strategy in the in, in the state, uh, they're available there. Now, just a short time ago, Target 12 heard from the chairperson of the Westerly School Committee who tells us in an email, ILO is not doing any work in Westerly at all. I'm still unclear on exactly how this company can support Rhode Island school districts, and we entered into no agreements. I reached out to the governor's office a little over an hour ago, have not heard back just yet. We'll put their response on WPRI.com. And Tim, we were just speaking with the executive director of the Rhode Island Association of School Committees earlier. He said he did an informal poll of his membership and has only heard back from Little Compton in terms of school districts that are working with that group. Um, so, Tim, what kind of reaction have you been getting from state officials about this report and that lucrative contract? Well, Kim, we know the chairman of the Senate Oversight Committee is looking into it. Senator Lou DePalma said in a tweet that he is reviewing the documents from the contract, including what's called a request for proposal or an RFP. That's where the state asks for bids on a project. I called Chairman DePalma to find out if he's scheduling any hearings with the Oversight Committee, but he said they're not there just yet. He's still fact-gathering. And finally, Tim, Target 12 investigator Tolly Taylor has an important report. It's coming up tomorrow, in fact, on 12 News this morning. It's out air filtration systems in Rhode Island schools. And Brian, this is top of mind for so many parents, teachers, and staff, especially as the Delta variant has ticked up the number of positive cases in recent weeks. Tolly found a patchwork of filtration systems across the state school districts. Some have whole building HEPA filters. Others are using in-room filters. In one district, he found they even installed ultraviolet light technology to hopefully eradicate the virus. As you said, Tolly will have the full breakdown of his findings tomorrow on 12 News this morning. All right. Target 12 investigator Tim White, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, folks, uh, good afternoon. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, uh, DePietro.com. Now, I have um, some more sound we are going to play. Right now, it's it's 144 uh, on this um, very seasonable, it's a delightful September afternoon. As I said, folks, the, the weather lately, I mean, the month of September has really been uh, just spectacular, just spectacular. And I also want to remind you, if you're someone of thinking this is good weather to have maybe something paved, J. Perry paving, provide high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, 20 years experience, specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating patios, letter J, J. Perry Paving. Call them today at 401-732-1730. Whether it is a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, letter J, J. Perry Paving. They have your back. 
Check out the benefits of investing in asphalt paving. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on. J. Perry Paving, licensed and insured contracting company. Call J. Perry Paving today at 401 732 1730. 401 732 1730 for letter J. J. Perry Paving. And especially if you're a veteran. No one's better for veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today. Look for them on Facebook and the website is letter J, J. Perry Paving. But call them, folks, at 732-1730, 732-1730. If you are a veteran or maybe your dad is or your mom or some someone you know or a member of your family, no one is better for veterans than J. Perry Paving. Let's go to some of the sound. This is on Fox, small business owner. Talking about President Biden's vaccine mandate, unconscionable. We're going to lose employees, which we're already having a tough time with. You and and maybe even other business owners that you're talking about. Well, you know, the the funny thing is 100 is not a large number of employees anymore. If you own two two fast casual restaurants, you may have 100 employees. So uh, for us... We know all of our employees. They're in small groups of five to eight people in each salon. We know their names. We know their families. And we know the stresses and struggles they've got. And adding this on right now with all the fear and uncertainty going on in the workplace is is unconscionable. And so we will lose employees. We're already about 70 uh, employees down from where we need to be. Mm. And it's a struggle to get back into the into the workforce right now. And this is going to add one more layer. A real quick one, and I've got to go. Do you feel like this administration is on your side as a business? I don't think they're on the business, uh, the small business side. I think they're I think they're on someone else's side. Well, there's no question. I mean, he had a rally last week with labor, with labor. Now, folks, as I mentioned, and right now at 147, good afternoon, it's John DePietro. As I mentioned, This recall election, recall election out in California is one to watch. This is KBC reports that Riverside County voters are worried receiving multiple ballots. Some people getting five ballots with this California. Recall. Some voters in Riverside County have received multiple ballots for the recall election, and it's not the first time this has happened. And the Empire Bureau Chief Rob McMillan explains why, plus just what happens if someone tries to vote more than once. It's really hard to trust the process when nobody can even explain why two ballots are mailed to one person. Sherry, who didn't want us to use her last name, told us not only did her husband get two ballots in the mail before last year's election, the same thing happened again this year. Our fear is it could have ended up in the wrong hands. Our fear is they could have counted it twice. But they're not the only Riverside County voters to receive multiple ballots. It had an individual's name on it that we had no idea who that person was, but it had our address. Both Tom Ittig and Sherry reported the problems to the Riverside County Registrar of Voters. Is this a very small scale problem? Is it uh, you know, is it maybe a little bit uh, more substantial than we think at first glance? That's exactly what I asked Riverside County Registrar Rebecca Spencer. I've received about 20 of these phone calls. So why would people receive multiple ballots? Spencer said there are several reasons. If someone re-registers after a ballot is mailed, if there's a DMV transaction, or if someone votes early or in person. Because as we all know, during the pandemic, every registered voter automatically gets a ballot in the mail. So far, Spencer says 15,000 multiple ballots have been issued for the recall election. But Spencer says all multiple ballots issued to one registered voter will be merged, meaning only one will count. Once they get merged together, as soon as one ballot is returned as good, the other one is automatically voided. But what if it's the legitimate voter's ballot that is voided? That's where signature verification comes into play. But with so many multiple ballots out there, it puts a lot of pressure to get things right. The last election, we had people, you know, some people receiving up to four or five ballots. District Attorney Mike Hestron says his public integrity unit will investigate any complaint brought forth by a voter who wonders why they got multiple ballots. Each election, it ends up being, you know, maybe less than 100 complaints. Um, But it's, you you don't know... The number of people that are not complaining. 
That's why both the DA and the registrar say if something like this happens to you, don't just throw the other ballot away and attribute it to a mistake. They say you have to report it. Folks, now this, you know, all this is doing is just building more mistrust in the process, right? Right now it's 1.50. Good afternoon on this Monday. Very pleasant afternoon, by the way. Uh, Monday Night Football is on tonight. Looking for a good place to watch the game. Get out of the house. Hey, listen, it was very enjoyable yesterday. I watched the Patriots game at End Zone Sports Pub, 960 Menden Road in Cumberland. Great crowd, great drinks. The game everywhere as you look around, uh, easy in and out, pop in there. Monday Night Football is on. End Zone Sports Pub, 960 Men and Ronan Cumberland. Dana and his whole crew, they do a uh, great job. I will be back there. A lot of fun. Nice group uh, yesterday. A lot of enthusiasm and a loss, but still a, um, a, good, a good Patriots game. Now, later, folks, there are going to be fireworks when this um, Anthony Blinken starts to testify. And there should be, by the way. And there should be, as a matter of fact. There should be fireworks for the way that this guy... Um, how he has, in fact, handled himself. So that is something to watch. I'm also seeing that, a, um, unfortunately, a body was found, the bike path near the Wasquaticket River in Oneyville. I am hearing female in the water, no foul play. So now, just about a month ago, I was over there on a Thursday night, and they pulled the body out. So... Um, another death in Providence, but right now we have no reason to believe that um, we have no reason to believe that there is foul play involved, folks. It is um, just the fact that um, it was just the fact that that right now um, there there's just so much that is going on. Regarding the people that are uh, fighting because of the mass, and now you even have the situation regarding the um, what happened, the situation that happened um, in in Barrington. Now that this man's death is being overshadowed by what happened on whether or not he was vaccinated. I'm talking about the nope. the sergeant. In um, in Barrington, who they're reporting, and there's the chief even saying that he was not vaccinated. Barrington police sergeant dies after battle with COVID. So I want to um, just play. Uh, let me just quickly play this Channel 12 story on this 27-year veteran of the Barrington Police Department. The Barrington Police Department mourning the loss of one of their own this morning. This morning. Police say Sergeant Gino Caputo passed away over the weekend on September 11th after contracting COVID-19. And 12 News reporter Kayla Fish is live at police headquarters in Barrington with the details this morning. Police say Sergeant Gino Caputo had been battling COVID-19 for five weeks. He passed away Saturday morning, surrounded by his wife and his family. Now, Barrington's police chief shared the news of Sergeant Caputo's passing on social media over the weekend. According to the chief, Sergeant Caputo served on the town's police force for 27 years. Black bunting has been draped over the public safety building here in Barrington, as well as a cruiser out front. Law enforcement from throughout the state sending their condolences to Sergeant Caputo's family, as well as his brothers and sisters in blue. Governor Dan McKee putting out a statement on social media saying he and his wife are sending thoughts, prayers, and deepest condolences to Sergeant Caputo's family and loved ones, as well as members of the police department. The statement went on to say, quote, we thank Sergeant Caputo for his service. He will be deeply missed. Now, the police department says that funeral arrangements for Sergeant Caputo are still in the works. Live in Barrington this morning, I'm Kayla Fish, 12 News. Now, again, folks, but something that is being a lot made of is the fact that he apparently was not vaccinated. And, you know, Governor McKee, I mentioned Governor McKee is trying to juggle. He doesn't want to push back against the union, does not want to push back against the union. Um, 
But at the same time, he he is going pushing back against these frontline health care workers who are going to be terminated. And now they're trying to say, well, they're not going to be terminated. They're just on unpaid leave and they have 75 days in order to get the vaccine. But there were just, you know, and I said this. Good afternoon, everyone. At 155, you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. I mentioned from the very beginning, there are some people that are not going to get vaccinated. And I also want to be very clear. There's always a percentage of people that are not going to be vaccinated. The number of the people refusing to be vaccinated has not budged, has not budged. So um, they, they didn't seem to take that into account. As I've said in the past, I think, especially with the healthcare workers, there should have been better communication and some kind of an outreach program to them. Because so far there hasn't been. It's just been get the vaccine or else because I said so. And people are not responding well to that in any way. Now, again, as I've mentioned, folks, we have some great stories on our website, depetro.com. Depetro.com, which is brought to you by the Centerdale Comfort Food and Cocktails. Centerdale Revival, Pop It and See. Shane and his crew, winners of several Rhode Island monthly categories, 2025 Smith Street in North Providence. It's the Centerdale Revival. And on top of that, Don't forget, for uh, all your CBD needs, check out the CBD store in Warwick, 1845 Post Road in Warwick. Whether it is something for a pet or if you're fighting stress, anxiety, sleep, pain, seizure, pop it and see them right across from TF Green Airport, right off the highway. It's the CBD store Warwick. You can also find them on Facebook, the CBD store Warwick and again 1845 Post Road in Warwick where you can find them. So folks coming up you're going to hear the uh, the 2 o'clock news and then it'll be the John Dion program again uh, reporting some of the, the the local news is you know what also is interesting folks is as much as the the extra payments for non-work workers is is come to an end, but people are still not going out and getting jobs. There are some people, and this is one of the dangers. There are some people that they you know they don't want to work. They don't want to work, and when they've gone this long, since May, since May now, and some are off. And were they saving money? No, they were spending money. They were spending the extra money coming in that was coming in. They they don't want to work. And the idea that, I'll tell you, there's, there's two things, two areas that I noticed that I, I think the McKee people are a little lackadaisical on. One is, uh, it's time. And Governor McKee said, that's our message. Shots in arms, it's time. That's not addressing. That's not pinpointing why some people will not get it. And the other thing was, all right, there's a worker shortage. Okay, well, the unemployment benefits have ended, so everyone just has to go back to work. There are people that don't want to go back to work. There are people that don't want to return to the workplace, period. And that's a problem because, and this was a problem created by the government. And even Biden said, hey, you private businesses, you're now competing with the government. We'll pay them to stay home. you got to pay them more. This is a major problem. Listen, it's John DePietro. Enjoy this Monday. Stay tuned. 2 o'clock news and the John DM program. We're back tomorrow at 11. Enjoy this Monday. WNRI Woonsocket.